Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday, February the 10th. And today on The Briefing, how a Nobel Peace Prize winner has been locked up by the military again. She represents a large number of people within the country who don't like the military rule. But at the same time, she doesn't want to encourage people to rise up because you'd have a massacre being conducted by the military. So we're talking about Aung San Suu Kyi in Myanmar. She was already locked up for 15 years by the military. Then she came out, won two elections, and then last week there was a major twist in her already very dramatic story. So what's going on in Myanmar in just a moment? First, Belinda Russell from Channel 9 is here for the first time to bring you the headlines. Good morning, Tom. Great to be here. Um, normally she'd do a TikTok as well, but the briefing okay. records so early. It's a bit too early for TikToking. This Tick- is really why you've got me in here, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Syn- <laughs> synchronised dancing. Um, do check out Belinda's synchronised dancing on, on, <laughs> on Instagram or TikTok if you get a chance. First, let's get into the news of the day. A World Health Organisation probe into how COVID-19 started has found it's unlikely the virus came from a lab or bats as first thought. The findings suggest that the laboratory uh, incident um, hypothesis is uh, extremely unlikely. So that was team leader Peter Ben Emberak and his team's been in Wuhan since mid-January and they suspect that COVID was in the city for weeks before being detected at the wet market. Yeah, they will now investigate whether the virus could have been spread through frozen food. Yeah, wow. And back home, another two new coronavirus cases have leaked out of Melbourne's hotel quarantine. One of them is a worker, the other a return traveller who became sick after their 14 days at Melbourne's Holiday Inn. Yeah, it means that two workers and a former guest have tested positive in the last three days. Yeah, it's interesting that it was only a few weeks ago in Perth and before that Brisbane where one hotel quarantine worker getting COVID was enough to shut down the whole city. Yeah, I think we're finally learning. I mean, Mark McGowan shutting down WA due to that one case. Perhaps we're finally learning and trusting in our contact traces that we just can't do that. We've got to get on with life. Yeah, I imagine people uh, in Melbourne, though, who went through the lockdown last year... A little bit nervous. <laughs> ...got the Australian <laughs> Open going on. You've got these cases coming out of the, the hotels at the airport. Um, pretty concerning. And Donald Trump's second impeachment trial begins today. Yeah, the former president is accused of inciting the Capitol insurrection that led to five deaths last month, including a police officer who was beaten to death by the mob. Yeah, Trump's legal team's expected to mount a couple of arguments... One of them is that the trial's unconstitutional because he's already left office. And the other one is that the election was rigged. Yeah, I mean, it's a two-thirds of the Senate majority is needed to convict Trump. That means that 17 Republicans would need to cross the floor along with all 50 Democrats. And a lot of commentators are saying it's pretty unlikely that that many Republicans are going to turn on Trump and, in a way, their own party. One key piece of evidence, of course, is going to be Uh, the speech that Donald Trump gave to that crowd on Capitol Hill that day. Let's take a listen. You'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. We will not take it anymore. We will stop the steal. Yeah, so they're going to be pouring over the, the words that he used on that day and the meaning that they held for that crowd, it's going to be quite fascinating. Yeah, trials should run for about one to two weeks. Of course, Trump already faced an impeachment trial and was acquitted. Mm. So I think this outcome, we could guess what it, what it's going to be, but it'll be certainly interesting to watch. Yeah, and whether it's sort of 
backfires for the Democrats. Like mm. if it turns out the same way that he's, he's acquitted again, it looks ultra political. It sort of goes against what Biden was saying on his inauguration day that he wanted to heal America, unite both sides of, you know, the political divide. I'm not sure how this is going to look. And it also puts Trump back in the spotlight. I That's think a it. lot of people are enjoying having a break from Donald Trump. The Republicans are saying that the Democrats are wasting their time. I mean, Trump is no longer president, mm. so he's no longer in office. So it's you've got to wonder what's the point of it. Yeah, get on with passing some other bills. And Collingwood President Eddie Maguire has resigned after hanging on for a week after that report came out last week. I try my best and I don't always get it right, but I don't stop trying. Today, effective immediately, I step down from the presidency of the Collingwood Football Club. Yeah, you can hear it in his voice there, can't mm. you? It's quite an emotional, Eddie. He was due to stand down at the end of the 2021 season. However, he said he's become a lightning rod for criticism since calling the leaking of the report a proud day for the Pies. Yeah, I heard a few people respond to that line about being a lightning rod, saying that he was kind of playing the victim here, which was a, an interesting take. I mean, this had been building for a week. A lot of people thought that if he'd hung on this long, he might keep on going and push through this controversy like he has so many others. But there was an open letter published yesterday with dozens of politicians, notable sports players, Indigenous leaders, all demanding his resignation. And that's when he called that media conference and acknowledged his position was no longer tenable. Yeah. I mean, after 23 years at the helm, it is an unfortunate and it's a shame to end that way, isn't very, it? Very messy, and that's for sure. You'd have to wonder what the sponsors have been saying in the last week and mm. whether that really is what Pushed made the it. decision. Yeah. A review has found James Packer's Crown Resorts is not fit to run a new casino at Barangaroo in Sydney. Yeah, it follows an 18-month inquiry which exposed allegations of money laundering at its casinos in Melbourne and Perth. The 800-page document cites poor corporate governance, deficient risk management structures and poor corporate culture as reasons it shouldn't get the licence. As for Packer, it says his ability to remotely manoeuvre aspects of Crown operations has disastrous consequences for the company. So to get the licence to run this new casino in Sydney, which, by the way, has already been built and was due to open in December, there's a whole list of very strenuous requirements and changes that they're going to have to make to Crown Casinos. It looks like James Packer would have to sell down his 37% share in Crown and he's actually already been trying to do that. So I don't imagine this coming out will be um, helping push up the price of, of that that ownership stake that he's having to sell. And it also, Belinda, raises massive questions about whether Crown can continue to run their casinos in Melbourne and Perth. Yeah, big question mark there. All right, Belinda, we'll catch you tomorrow when we go in depth on the second impeachment trial. Annika's about to jump in the studio as we find out what's going on in Myanmar. If you were going to make a movie about the life of Aung San Suu Kyi, you would not need to make anything up. It has been incredibly dramatic and one of the biggest twists in this story came last week. Let's start with the military coup in Myanmar. They've seized control of the country and detained key government officials, including the country's de facto leader, Aung San Suu Kyi. Myanmar police filed charges on Wednesday. With illegally importing walkie-talkies, if convicted it'll mean she can't stand in next year's elections. It's a crazy situation. So today on The Briefing, what is happening in Myanmar and how did its democratically elected Nobel Peace Prize winning leader, Aung San Suu Kyi, get locked up by the military again? 
So to go back to the start, Myanmar, which was previously known as Burma, is an Asian country tucked in between Thailand, Bangladesh and China. It was a British colony until the 1940s and since then it's largely been under the military's control. But Aung San Suu Kyi became one of the most prominent proponents of democracy. She was such a threat to the military that she was put under house arrest for about 15 years. Eventually she was released in 2010, which was a a massive moment, made global news, and then she became the country's de facto leader after a 2015 election. And then, as you just heard, last week the military took control again and they've put her under house arrest again. They've also detained an Australian who was one of her closest economic advisers. His name is Sean Turnell. So let's explain what's actually going on here. Dr. Keith Suda is an international affairs expert. He's the host of Podcast One's Global Truths. Keith, long before last week's military coup, Aung San Suu Kyi had been held up as a hero in the international community. So why did she become so loved in the West? She's an accidental leader. Her father was one of the people who led the campaign for independence against Britain 70-odd years ago and then was assassinated by fanatics uh, only two years, uh, when she was aged two years, so she hardly met her father. She herself uh, remained as one of the more elite families in Burma or Myanmar and then uh, studied overseas, particularly at Oxford, and married an Oxford academic, thinking she was going to spend her life as um, the wife of an Oxford academic, and she was going to develop her own academic career. In um, the late 1980s, the military again took over in Burma, Myanmar, and she at that time had gone home to be with her dying mother. Being with the dying mother, she was suddenly in, if you like, the right place at the right time or the wrong place at the wrong time. The general public resisted the military takeover, although in the end had to tolerate it. They had no choice, but they needed an alternative leader to speak for them. And she took on that role. So she never expected to have this role. And then a couple of years after taking on the role in 1991, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. Remember, she was expecting to be the wife of an Oxford academic. Michael Aris remained in England. He actually died in England, and Aung San Suu Kyi could not visit him. Her fear was that if she had visited him in England while he was dying of cancer, the military would have prevented her from returning to Burma. So she stayed on under house arrest in Burma. And so that ran all the way through from um, the the late 1980s until a few years ago when the uh, military allowed uh, elections to take place. But still, under the new constitution, the military are guaranteed a certain number of seats in the parliament. Right. So the first election was held and Aung San Suu Kyi is not allowed to stand because in the constitution there is a provision which says that if you have children who are born overseas, you cannot be a candidate. Now, there's only one person in the country whom, to whom that applies, and that's Doron Song Suu Kyi. Let's just go back a sec. Um, she became a hero and an accidental leader. She won the Peace Prize, as you said, in, in 91. When she was finally released from house arrest in 2010, how much excitement and expectation was on her shoulders? Oh, a huge amount. Absolutely unbelievable. But don't forget, the military was still determined to run the country. 
They realized that keeping her under house arrest was a liability. They had to move towards some semblance of democracy. It's still not a proper democracy, as I say. The military are in control of uh, a large number of seats in the parliament. So they had the first election. She's basically running the country, but she doesn't have that title as a separate person who is the uh, political leader. Then we had the, the more recent elections a few months ago, and the amount of support that she received was so overwhelming that the military, when they wrote the new constitution, had no conception that any political party would do that well in an election. And suddenly the military, even though they'd reserved a certain number of seats for themselves, suddenly realized that if they weren't careful, they were gonna get themselves outvoted by the parliament in terms of creating yet a new constitution. And that's why they had to act. What was her sort of balancing act with the military? And it reminds me of uh, how sometimes prime ministers are hoodwinked by certain factions within their party. Did it influence how she led? Yes, absolutely, Annika. I think that the the issue that uh, we're looking at is that the general, uh, Min Ong Hlung, who was due to retire shortly, just had aspirations for a political career and realised the only way he could do it is by having this coup and remaining in office beyond his set retirement date. Um, now, all the way through, Aung San Suu Kyi has had to conduct this very delicate balancing act. So she represents a large number of people within the country who don't like the military rule. But at the same time, she doesn't want to encourage people to rise up because you'd have a massacre being conducted by the military. So she's had to carry out a very delicate balancing act, which has somewhat damaged her prestige. Now, another interesting turning point in Aung San Suu Kyi's story was a moment around 2017 where many people in the West started to fall out of love with her. A group of Nobel Peace Prize winners has sharply criticised Myanmar's leader Aung San Suu Kyi for not doing enough to protect the country's minority Rohingya Muslims. Suu Kyi, who has long fought for human rights, has refused to explicitly condemn what's happening. Keith, in 2017, Aung San Suu Kyi came under intense international criticism about her handling of some of the issues with ethnic minority groups. How do you judge how she handled this situation and who was influencing her? You know, she's a shrewd operator. She's a very smart Oxford graduate. Uh, And she understood that if she goes too far against the military, the military will move against her. And that's exactly what's happened in the last few weeks. So she was hoping to avert the disaster that we've had in the last few weeks by simply um, moving the country forward without antagonising the military. If she had stood up to the military uh, years ago over the treatment of the minority Muslim group, they would have removed her even quicker. She's been very pragmatic, and I was never as critical of her in regard to the the Muslim issue, as some people were, who just take this very idealistic approach towards politics and assume that because something is morally correct, that it's obviously politically correct, et cetera, politically possible. We're dealing with the real world here. And for me, the real world is that the more the West criticizes the military regime, the closer it becomes to China. China does not go around giving lectures on human rights. After all, it doesn't have too many human rights in its own country. It doesn't lecture others on human rights. And so what we're seeing, therefore, is the West marginalising its own role against Myanmar and Myanmar being 
pushed more and more into the arms of China. Myanmar is potentially an incredibly rich country because of all the resources that it's got. And it's in a good strategic position. China would love to be able to dominate the country. And the more the West antagonizes the military, the more the military go and rely on China. So where does that leave us now? It sounds like Aung San Suu Kyi did a deal with the devil and then they've backflipped on the deal. She's now in a very weak position. Where will the military take the country from here and how will that impact that dynamic with China that you talk about? Well, the military has said they're going to stay in power for at least a year. Now, remember, if you look back at the history of Myanmar, Burma, over the last 70-odd years since independence from Great Britain, they um, have had most of that time under military rule. So they've really just gone back to what they're used to, which is being ruled by the military, unfortunately. So there is no real scope for democracy there at the moment. What is interesting is the level of uh, people who are reacting against the military takeover, and you've got the demonstrations in the city. How long will these people remain? And two scenarios. One is that they will eventually get tired of what they're doing. Uh, The police will crack down, probably with the use of Chinese spy technology. They'll know who the people are. They'll pick up the ringleaders, punish them, and the campaign will just wither away, and the military will remain in control, not only for the next year, but the indefinite future. An alternative scenario, which we've seen in the Middle East, going back to the so-called Arab Spring, is that when you get sufficient numbers of people riled up, the military do a a bit of a calculation and they will just say, the general public are really angry. Let's get out of the way and let the the, uh, general public try to run the country. We saw that in Egypt and they had an experiment with democracy that went wrong and the, the military were then able to take over by saying, well, we gave you a go and you failed to do it. So we're going to come back into control. What does that mean for Su Chi? I think she is safe. I can't imagine that they will kill her because that would just be so, they would make a martyr out of her. Um, she's now in her early 70s. Um, they would love her to go and spend the rest of her life in retirement in England or somewhere else, just get her out of the country. I can't imagine that she'll be killed, but you never can tell. You know, you could get a a rogue member of the military who thinks that uh, it might be better off by killing her. Um, So there is that personal risk to her and others who have been arrested. It's not just her. They've got rid of the entire government. Huge number of people under under house arrest at the moment. They're going to be trumped up charges. She's going to be accused of using walkie-talkies. You know, these are really flimsy criminal charges. They will try to prevent her from ever running from office again because they're saying you're now a criminal. What do you think is going to happen to that Aussie political advisor, Sean Turnell? Well, I think he will be released in due course. Um, he's obviously in a difficult situation. He's going to be treated badly. But I think he will be released. From the Burmese military point of view, You know, there's nothing to be gained by killing him or keeping him in prison for too long. So I think my guess is that he'll be released. But he's obviously a very traumatic experience being caught up in this. I feel very sorry for the guy. That was Dr Keith Souter, an international affairs expert there. Yeah, and the situation's still unfolding. There's still protests happening. And it's going to be really interesting to see where this power struggle between democracy and the military goes and what that means for the individuals caught in the crossfire. All right, that's it for today. Tomorrow, we take a look at the impeachment trial, which has just kicked off, uh, the second impeachment trial of the former president, Donald Trump. A podcast one production.